Nobody's going up there. Um,
Good afternoon, everybody. It's time to begin our service. I hope everybody is not too full and you didn't spill it down your shirt like I did. I, I always know never to wear a light-collared shirt on the potluck Sundays, but I never heed my own advice. <laughs> the, this afternoon we'll have uh, two songs, and then Derek has reading and prayer, one more song, and then Chris has our lesson. First song this afternoon is number 708, Walking in Sunlight. Just to make sure all the food is digested, let's stand, please. <laughs> 708, Walking in Sunlight. Walking in sunlight on my journey over the mountain, through the deep air, Jesus has said, I'll never forsake thee, promise divine that never can fail. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, flooding my soul with glory divine. Hallelujah. Next song is number 977, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. 977. After this, we'll have our reading and prayer. In heavenly armor will enter the land, the battle belongs to the Lord. No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand, the battle belongs to the Lord.
Our scripture reading for this afternoon is in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 16, verses 16 through 19. Matthew 16, 16 through 19. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your son Jesus to, to come down to this earth and to show us how to, how to live, to be our model, to be our example, and to go beyond that by giving himself on the cross for, for our sins and then resurrecting to defeat the grave and, and death and, and give us eternal life and eternal hope um, because of his sacrifice. But Father, as we've just read the confession of Peter and, and uh, the establishment of the, of the church soon after. Father, give us the same courage that Peter had to declare our allegiance to you and to, to follow you in all that we do and to live our lives in the way that you have called us to do, to be bold and to be um, an example for all of others of the love that you've given us by the love that we share. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our song before the lessons, number 658. 658, there is much to do. If you will, let's stand for this song, please. 658. Gotta work the food off, guys. <laughs> There's much to do, there's work on every hand, like the cry for help comes ringing through the land. Jesus calls the reaper, I must act to see, what was thou Thank you, Christ. Morning's all this 
Song of Invitation is number 272. I have decided to follow Jesus. Good evening. We're uh, back in our Twisted Scriptures uh, uh, series to this evening. So we're back in Matthew chapter 18. So grab your Bibles, flip over to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look in verse 20 there. I'm having some technical difficulties on my end with my computer, so no PowerPoint today for this one. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. You're probably familiar with this passage, but it, like a lot of the other ones we've talked about in this series, you might not recognize it um, just uh, in its context. So let's, let's read it first, and we'll talk about it for just a second, then we'll back up and grab our context. <clears throat> Matthew 18, verse 20 says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. I usually hear this passage uh, talked about and referenced. Uh, when there's just a small group of people together, like two, three, four, five, ten people um, gathered together, and, and it's used to say, well, Jesus is still here in our midst. We're, we're still able to worship even though we're, we have a small group. And that's true, right? It's just not what this passage means. So certainly you can worship in small groups. Certainly you can and should worship by yourself, right? Uh, we see Jesus on occasion going out. Uh, with his 12 disciples, that would be a small group, uh, to sing songs and to, to worship. We see Paul and Silas in prison. What are they doing? They are worshiping. They're singing songs, right? We see Jesus going out in the wilderness for 40 days. And what's he doing there? He's praying and fasting. He's worshiping. You can and should worship individually with a small group and with large groups. So that's not the issue here. What is it an issue here is what is this text actually saying? So let's back up and grab our context. And we got to go back up. 15 is far enough. Um, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, to kind of grab the context here. But what Jesus is really talking about in, in all of Matthew 18 is relationships. And he's going to look at that from a couple of different lenses. Um, but Start in verse 15 for our purposes this evening. Matthew 18, 15. You're familiar with this passage. You may not know just in your mind before we read through it that Matthew 18, 15 and Matthew 18, 20 are connected like they are. Um, but I know you know this passage. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, you take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is not a new thing for the Jewish folks. This is something that uh, the way that they made a, a claim credible was on the witness of, or was on the basis of two to three witnesses. If you are going to accuse someone of something, you have to have credible testimony. That's, that's kind of what Jesus is drawing from here, that, that, that passage in Deuteronomy. Uh, but he's saying if uh, someone has sinned, if we have a conflict among brothers or sisters in the church, if we have a conflict, how do we handle that? Certainly conflicts arise, right? We can't live life without conflict. And so those things come up. And so how do we deal with that? Well, sometimes some people in the world certainly would say to you, well, you just kind of gossip about the person or you, you complain about them 
uh, or you're angry at them and you hold a grudge toward them. But that's, that's not how we deal with conflict in the church, is it? We, we go to that person who has offended us or in some, in some instances sinned against us uh, and we tell them their sin between us and them alone. Um, we do this to save face. We do this uh, as, a, as a sign of humility, as a sign of uh, brotherhood, uh, hoping, of course, that they hear us uh, and so that they repent or that we can come to terms. Maybe I've misunderstood uh, and, or, or maybe I'm the one that's in the wrong when I think that they are. And so we go to them individually and we hash it out. We spend some time talking through this, this conflict. And if that works, great. We're back in unity. That's, that's one of the big calls in the gospel is, is unity. We need to be united. Um, often, the unity that we enjoy is not the unity. It, it hasn't gone as far as we think it should because often we hold these conflicts um, in our back pocket. You know, we, we hold on to some of these, these grudges and these, um, uh, these dissensions among us. We hold on to some of those things. Um, and we just kind of stay away from that person because our congregation is big enough, thankfully. Um, but that allows us to kind of say, well, that person sits over there and I sit over here. So we, we just won't talk and I'll just be mad at them. That's not a good thing, right? That's not, that's not the way that the gospel is laid out for us. Unity is too important. We need each other. We rely on each other. We depend on each other too much to live like that. And so this unity is important. So important, in fact, that it's okay. In fact, it demands that we get out of our comfort zone on many occasions to keep that kind of unity intact. That's important. Uh, in fact, one of the last things that Jesus says in his last, really his last recorded prayer, certainly his longest prayer in John 17, is a prayer for unity. It, it's what he's focused on toward the end of his life. And so unity is a very big deal. It's critical. It's essential. It's one of the things we can't leave out. And so that's one of the things that he's focusing on here as we have conflict with each other. He says, if you have, when you have conflict, because conflict will happen, when you have conflict, here's how you deal with it. You don't, you don't push it aside. You don't sweep it under the rug. You don't complain. You don't turn negative. You don't hold a grudge. You don't do any of those things. You, you go to that person and in a loving and kind and Christ-like manner, you say, this is what I have experienced. This is what I have seen. This is um, the offense that I have perceived uh, with you against me and, and what can we do to rectify this situation? Maybe you need my help, or maybe I've misunderstood the situation, and, or maybe it's just a complete ignorance issue on your part, and you didn't think about it and didn't know about it, and uh, you apologize, and everything's, everything's fine and dandy again. That's, that's the ideal situation. So as we are in those situations, because we will be in those situations, we, again, we can't sweep it under the rug. We can't ignore this stuff because it grows and it festers like a wound. Um, we've been building a chicken coop. We've been adding to a lovely chicken coop. Um, and I got a, um, a splinter in my hand. As you want to do with uh, wood like this, you get splinters. And I've gotten 10 or 20 since we've been working on this awesome project. Had so much fun doing this. Um, but this last one, this silly thing, I pulled the splinter out and it got infected. I thought, well, there must be something still in there. And so I kind of 
moved it around, and I couldn't find anything. So I thought, well, I'll just spray some, some antibacterial stuff on it, and I'll rub some Neosporin on it, and, and it'll go away. Sure enough, that thing closed over, but you know what happened in a day or so? It, it was pus-filled. I thought, oh, man, it still hurts like crazy. So I had to pop that, and there was ooze. <laughs> there was nastiness, infection inside that wound. It still hurts. It's crazy. That's what happens to us if we allow this kind of conflict and dissension among us to fester. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. And it just begins to hurt, not just us, but all those around us, and it begins to affect the congregation. So this is not something that we get to ignore. We can't sweep under the rug. We have to deal with conflict. Here's how you deal with conflict. So you go to the person on your own, individually, because this isn't something that you're, you're spreading um, uh, rumors about. We don't want to poison other people's minds against the person that has uh, offended us. We want them to be better, right? We want ourselves to be better. And so we go to them individually and we talk to them. And if we uh, come to a consensus, great, we've won our brother. If not, then we should bring two to three witnesses along with us and those people's responsibility is to kind of judge between uh, these, these, this conflict, judge between these two parties and say, well, this is what I'm hearing, and this is what I'm hearing here, and this is what I'm hearing here, and so this is, everything was done correctly. Um, that's what these, these witnesses' responsibility is. And so at that point, the person that has offended us should get the seriousness of the matter. You're doing Bible things, Bible ways. And so at that point, they think, oh, well, this is, this is serious. I ought to hear them. They've already come to me individually, and I kind of shut them down. I shouldn't have done that. shouldn't have been like that, but I did. And so now they're coming to me again, and they're doing a Bible thing, a Bible way. And so I need to respond biblically, right? I need to respond with humility, and I need to kind of throw my pride away. And we need to be united on this matter because unity in the church is too important to throw away over some conflict. Any conflict, no matter the size, it's too important to throw away over that kind of conflict. So when the person comes to us with two or three witnesses, we say, oh, oh okay, I, I understand now. And if the person repents, awesome, we've gained our brother. If they still refuse to repent, and Jesus says, you take it to the church. And so you tell everyone, and at that point, if the person still refuses to repent, surely to goodness by this point, they will have understood the severity and the significance of their sin. And they will wake up. That's what all of this is an attempt to do. It's an attempt to wake them up. But if they won't wake up, he says, you tell it to the church. And then if they still refuse to listen to you, if they still refuse to repent, they become as a Gentile or a tax collector to you. And so they are on the outs. They're, they're, they're outside of the fellowship of the church. The, the unity that we once had with them is broken and, and now they're over here and we're over here. You can't be in fellowship with them anymore because they're in abject sin. It, it's, it's, it's running amok in their lives and they refuse to deal with it. They refuse to acknowledge it. And so to wake them up, we have to remove ourselves from them. It's, it's the same uh, situation Paul finds himself in in 1 Corinthians 5 with the woman who, or with the man uh, who is uh, sleeping with his, 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 um, his father's wife. And that's what he walks through this principle. Apparently the Corinthian congregation has already, um, they've been dealing with this for a while and they're proud. And Paul says, this is, this is over. This needs, 
to be done with. Uh, you are to remove yourself from this person's sin. Deliver him to Satan is how he, how he phrases it in 1 Corinthians 5. But the goal there as well is to wake this person up, to, to help them focus on their sin and to help them see it. Because sometimes we need a big um, movement like that to help us see what we're actually doing. Sometimes we struggle to see ourselves, right? To see the condition that we're in. Uh, and so he says, this is, this is what needs to happen. All that to say, skip down to verse 18. So that's what he's been walking through. Jesus has been walking through this, this way of uh, dealing with conflict, dealing with sin. Verse 18, he's still in that exact same context. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Right? Keep reading. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So already the text, like just on face value, you begin to see this does not have anything to do with worship. This has everything to do with conflict resolution and, and really who's in authority here. Um, and, and whose authority matters. So whose authority does matter? Well, check it out. Verse, verse 18, he says, Who, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What is he talking about there, right? Like that, that's kind of a, that's a, that's a big statement, isn't it? Is he talking to us? Like if, if two or three of us get together and decide, well, you know, like I don't think Mark should be in Scripture or... I think the church ought to function like this. Is that what he's saying? Well, certainly not. We don't have that authority, right? So who, who could he possibly be talking to? Well, let me give you a hint. Flip back to Matthew 16. Uh, starting in verse 16, the passage that, that Derek read for us this afternoon. Jesus is uh, asking the question, who, who do people say that I am, right? And the apostles go through some uh, some, some possibilities. Well, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're the Christ. Some people say you're one of the prophets. People don't really know. Like, you're kind of an enigma. They think you're somebody special, but they don't really know exactly who you are. Uh, but then he kind of narrows the focus. Not who do they say I am, but who do you? You've had, you've had some time with me. You've seen the miracles. You've heard the teaching. And so you've got to, you ought to have a little bit better view on me than the rest of the world. So who do you say I am? And that's when Peter perks up and says, well, we think you're the Christ, right? What's interesting is what Jesus tells him there. You, you will probably recognize some of these phrases. Starting in verse 19 of that passage, Matthew 16, verse 19, he says, I will give you, he's not talking to Peter, he's talking to some of the apostles. Um, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He says exactly the same thing to Peter and the rest of the disciples that were gathered there that day as he does here in Matthew chapter 18, right? And so this is something that's specific to the disciples. It's something that's specific specifically to the 12 apostles. So when these guys, when, this, when these 12, excluding Judas, including Matthias and Paul, 
But when these 12 men agree on something spiritually, it's true here and it's true in heaven as well. These guys are inspired. They have Jesus' authority. Um, and so he has delegated this authority to them, and so they will speak his words. And so in Matthew chapter 18, um, when he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound on earth, and whatever you, whatever you loose on earth is, is loosed in heaven, that's, that's what he's saying. Um, it would certainly include doctrine. I, I think he's uh, maybe more specifically talking about conflict resolution here. Uh, and so if someone is bound into discipline, if, if they are, um, if, if the process has been walked through, they went to the person individually, the person said, I don't want to hear it. I'm just going to continue doing what I want to do. Don't, don't come to me. Don't be judgy. You know, we've heard that. And that's kind, of, that's kind of what he's saying. If they refuse to listen to the person when they come individually, and then the person brings two or three witnesses, and the person still refuses to listen, and they tell it to the church, and the person still refuses to listen, then the apostles have the authority, including the church has the authority, to withdraw from that person, right? And when the apostles say that that person is condemned, they're condemned here and they're condemned there too. But if that person uh, repents then their uh, condemnation is loosed. It, they're, they're, uh, it's loosed in here and it's loosed in heaven as well. They are, they're free. That's something that the apostles had the ability to do. Uh, it's an authority that the apostles had. Uh, we have the ability to withdraw. We have the ability to forgive. Um, but we don't have this ability to just kind of to make law, Right? We have the ability to enforce doctrine, but we can't make law like they could. Uh, so I think that's kind of what he's getting at here. Uh, and again, in verse 19, uh, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, you know, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's not two of us, right? That's not two of the 21st century Christians. Um, if um, Jason and I get together and we agree that this is what we need to do uh, in the church, it doesn't really matter, <laughs> right? Um, He's, he's talking about specifically the apostles here. Uh, this is something that's specific to them. Uh, and so if Paul and Peter got together and they agreed that, for example, you don't have to be circumcised to get into the kingdom of heaven, then that was law, right? Um, and that happens. You see that happening time and time again throughout Scripture, specifically in that case in Acts chapter 15. Um, that was the conclusion that they came to. So... Where two or three of you agree uh, in, on earth about something, the apostles, when they agreed, that's, that, was, that was the law because these guys speak for Jesus. So when we come to verse 20, we're not meant to be reading into this us. We're meant to be reading it into it them, the apostles. For where two or three apostles are gathered in my name, there I am among them. It's, he's talking about the authority, right? Um, so when these guys make doctrine, he's there. They, he, they have his authority. That's essentially what he's saying, I think. Um, so you're not in this text. <laughs> this is not for us. It's, it's for the apostles, uh, at least in that regard. So that's one of the ways that this text has been misused and misapplied. Uh, often we, we co-opt this text to say, well, we can, we can worship in small groups. Yes, 
You can and should. Yes, you can and should worship alone. Those are good and fine and uh, almost obligatory things to do. You, you need to be worshiping by yourself. You need to be worshiping in a group as well. Um, don't overlook that, that aspect of it. But you certainly should be worshiping alone, but you can't use this verse to prove it. Because this verse is talking specifically about the apostles and the authority that they have delegated to them by Jesus. So, that's, uh, I think that's what's going on in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, really, uh, 18 through 20 there uh, should, should go all in that one little block because there's those three verses, those two verses are, are very misunderstood, I think, right there. Uh, but when you read through the context, right, that's been our word throughout this series is context, context, context. If you read through the context, it becomes immediately clear. You may not know what's going on, but it becomes immediately clear that it's not talking about worship. It's not, it's not just talking about you and I getting together um, and, and, and worshiping. Uh, it's talking about uh, conflict resolution, basically, uh, and specifically the apostles' authority that's been delegated to them by, by Jesus. I think that's what's going on in Matthew 18. Um, all that to say, unity is important. Um, conflict resolution is important. Reading Scripture rightly, dividing it rightly is important. Uh, these are things that we need to be focused on, that we need to make sacrifices for, to make sure that these things happen. They can't just be swept under the rug because they begin to fester. When they begin, to, the wound just doesn't heal. It just keeps on going, right? Um, it just keeps getting worse. So we need to deal with these things, uh, but we need to do them in biblical ways. And so uh, maybe some of this stuff has been helpful for you uh, this afternoon. I'd love to sit down and talk with you more about uh, Matthew 18 or any of these passages. I hope this series has been helpful for you um, as we think about how to understand what he has said in Scripture rightly. Uh, we can't just interpret it however we want to. We have to, we have to go by the rules. We have to play by the rules. Be like can't play in kickball with somebody and they just say, well, I can pick up the ball and throw it whenever I want to. Like you have to play by the rules, right? So there are certain rules to interpretation. One of those main rules is context. What's the context to say? What's it mean? Um, so when we do that, when we play by the rules, you begin to understand Scripture the way that He meant for you to understand it. So that's always a helpful uh, and necessary task uh, that's incumbent upon us as good students of the Bible. We need to put in the time there. Um, this evening, if you've not already been baptized into Christ to have your sins washed away, that is certainly something uh, that we would like to talk to you about. Um, if you've already made that decision and you're, you're struggling, this world can be a difficult place to live righteously and passionately in and if you are struggling we want to pray for you that you can be absolutely everything that God would have you to be if you have any need this evening why don't you come as we stand and sing I have
just a few reminders on announcements. Uh, reminder, we'll be leaving uh, right after services and heading over to the Wingate for the sing here today. Also, this Wednesday will be the Stepping Stone Supper uh, here at the building. That'll be at 5.30, and uh, smoked pork is on the menu for that. And remember, uh, proceeds from, from that goes to our missions. Also, a uh, reminder for our youth, those wanting to go to Fort Hill, the uh, registration deadline is May 14th to get a uh, discount. May 20th will be our hometown love at the fairgrounds. Also, a reminder, the mowing schedule is hanging up in the foyer, so if you could help out with that, please sign up. And also, uh, please grab a youth summer calendar on the um, table out in the foyer. We've got a ton of activities coming up this summer for our youth group, so make sure you grab one of those and go ahead and get those uh, activities on your calendar. A reminder on the prayer list, uh, continuing to keep Jimmy Wilgus, Doug Deeds, Terry Leap, uh, Jamie Estes, Jim Haney, and Amber Spitzer in our prayers this week. Uh, pick up a Rome journal with a complete list of all those on, uh, on the prayer list. Let's make sure to keep our shut-ins in our prayers as well. That is all the announcements that I have. Jeremy. All right, if you can stick around for a few minutes, some strong boys to uh, help Connie move the, the risers. Uh, she'd greatly appreciate that. So uh, just stick around and come up front after services. Um, if you have not had the chance to partake the, of the Lord's Supper, uh, you can leave and do so at this time. It's in the conference room. And we'll have uh, one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Jeremy, I like how you word that. Connie needs some help. <laughs> Our last song this afternoon is 717, Victory in Jesus. 717.
Would you bow with me, please? Father, we're thankful for this day of life that you've given us for your son who came and died for us. We're thankful for the opportunity we had to meet this morning to hear more about you and the lesson we just heard this afternoon and that we can leave here and go sing songs to people that are not able to get out and move around. We pray that you bless us in this effort, that we can touch souls and let our light shine in this community. Father, we're thankful for the young high school students that are about to make their first big step as they graduate later this month from high school and move on, some to college, some to other places. We pray that you give them strength and courage and that they look to you in their daily walk of life. Also, we're thankful for those that have finished four years of school and Katie and Holly and maybe others that have forgotten. Bless them and Give them strength also as they step step out into another world. Bless us, Father, as we're about to leave here at this time, as we go home, that we look to you for guidance and help and let our light shine till we return again. We ask your blessings on our sick, our shut-ins. Forgive us of our sins. In thy son's name we pray, and amen.